0: Our sermon text for this morning is from Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Again, give careful attention to the holy word of our God. To everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. A time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up. a time to love and a time to hate, a time of war and a time of peace. What profit has the worker from that in which he labors? I have seen the God-given task with which the sons of men are to be occupied. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity in their hearts, except that no one can find out the work that God does from beginning to end. I know that nothing is better for them than to rejoice and to do good in their lives. And also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor. It is the gift of God. I know that whatever God does, it shall be forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing nothing taken from it. God does it that men should fear before Him. That which is has already been, and what, is has, and what is to be has already been, and God requires an account of what is past. The word of the Lord, amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. As we look at it today, give us wisdom and understanding, along with humble, receptive hearts before you. Bless the reading, the hearing, and the application of your word. In the name of Christ our Savior, amen. Please be seated. Probably everyone would agree that the times we live in are crazy times. The election, the riots, the virus, the lockdowns, the corruption, ongoing abortions, even events in our church and our personal lives. How do you respond? There's fear, panic, worry, grief, anger. Have you experienced some or all of those? That, what's a Christian supposed to do? How do you live in this place, in this time, in a godly way? In the midst of all of this, we, every day we all receive the same thing. We all receive the same 24 hours, the same time. In his Confessions, Augustine ponders how time and eternity intersect. He looks at God's relationship to time. We know that God isn't bound by time like we are. He created time. He exists outside of it. He sees the beginning and the end. But at the same time, He he exists in time. He acts within history. He speaks within history. Jesus came and lived and died and rose again at a particular time in history. We all receive the same amount of time each day and yet, There's one thing about time that can really frustrate us. And that's the fact that we have no control over it. We're at time's mercy. As the saying goes, time waits for no one. Time carries us wherever it will. And there's ultimately nothing we can do about it. Have you ever come to a situation and asked God, why did this have to happen now? Well, with time and the times, we're left with the question, what do you do? What do you do with the 24 hours you're given each day? This morning, we're we're looking at Ecclesiastes chapter 3. It's a book that was written by King Solomon, the person to whom God gave wisdom beyond everyone else. And if there's one thing that it would be good and nice to have now, it's wisdom. This passage contains a beautiful poem that's written by Solomon, and then it's followed by his reflections. And here we get some profound insight into into time and our lives and how they relate to God. Now, when you start thinking about having 24 hours in a day and and asking, well, what what do you do with them? You might start thinking about time management. That's, That's big in our day. But one thing we don't get in this passage is a lesson in time management. As people of our day, we like to think that we can manage time. And and it is good to plan and and schedule and and try to make every effort to be good stewards of the time that we have. But we should never fool ourselves into thinking that, that we can manage time. The whole point of this chapter is that we can't manage time. God is the Lord of time, not us. God determines the times of our lives. This chapter is about receiving each life event, each moment as a gift from God. It makes a very similar point as James chapter 4, which we heard read. James is clear. We can make our plans, but God determines our steps. We can make our plans, but everything is subject to God's will. So in this sense, it doesn't matter what appointments you have in your day timer or your Google calendar, which can be useful tools, but God is the ultimate appointment maker. You may or may not keep the appointments that you make for yourself, but it's guaranteed. You will always keep the appointments that God makes for you. And why is that? Because God is the Lord of time. And as our final hymn will say in the last verse, He's the potentate of time. He's the ruler, the one in control. The point of this poem and the reflections that follow is that God is the one who determines and manages time and the times. So the poem begins, To everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. It's talking about the various seasons of life. And the point is, it's God who sovereignly arranges those seasons. He's behind all the different types of time that we experience. The good times and the bad times. He's sovereign over them all. And in a poetic way here, Solomon describes all of life. The poem is made up of 14 pairs of, of life events. And each pair is two opposites. Altogether, they're basically comprehensive. They cover the whole range of, of human experiences and emotions and events. The list starts with a time to be born and a time to die. Those are the bookends to your life. Clearly, you don't choose those. God does. The list starts with those bookends, and then every other item happens between those two. Several of them relate to our work and our daily life. A time to plant and harvest, a time to kill and heal, a time to break down and build up, cast stones and gather them, a time to tear and to sow. Now, at least in some of those cases, it seems like we decide when those happen, doesn't it? I mean, don't we decide when we're going to plant the garden and when we're going to harvest it? Well, not really. Have you ever had something like this happen? You say, okay, I'm going to till the garden tomorrow and plant it. So you wake up in the morning and it's raining. Well, that's not what the weather report said. But that's what it is. Or maybe the weather is okay when you get up, but you bend down and and you pick up something off of the floor. And as you're doing that, something pops in your back and you have pain. You're immobilized so much for tilling the garden today. Even when we think we're in control, we're not. Then there are emotional times, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, well, those times happen, and, and not only do we not plan them, we have no idea that the great news or the tragic calamity was going to happen at all. It just happened. And there's a time to keep silence and a time to speak. Well, we certainly need to control our tongue. That's seen in many places in Scripture. But the trick is to be able to know when to keep quiet, and when it's time to speak up. We've probably all done the exercise where we open our mouth wide and insert our foot. The point is, we don't control those times either. There's even a time to love, a time to hate, a time of war, and a time of peace. The poem is meant to cover all of life, to be all-encompassing. It's like every item there and everything in between, they're all intricate puzzle pieces. And God takes all of the pieces and he puts them together one by one throughout your life. There's a time for everything that happens in your life. God plans it and he brings it to pass in exactly the right way at exactly the right time according to his plan. Scholars have looked at this poem and they've tried to figure out a reason why Solomon chose these particular items and and why he put them in that particular order. There doesn't seem to be a reason. And that's a poetic way of showing that the things of life, they come to us as they come, ordained by God as he purposes, but we can't predict them. We can't determine them. We can't figure out a pattern. They just happen. The way of wisdom then is to accept these seasons from God's hand and follow God's lead by discerning the next step He wants us to take. And of course, in teaching this in this poetic way in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, it's not unique. This is clear in the Bible, in passage after passage we find that Scripture affirms God's complete rule over creation and over time. Proverbs 16.9 says, A man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Psalm 115. Our God is in heaven. He does whatever He pleases. Psalm 31. My times are in your hands. Isaiah 45, God says, I am the Lord, there is no other. I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and I create calamity. Ephesians 1, the Apostle Paul says, God works all things after the counsel of his will. And on and on we could go. Scripture again and again confesses God's absolute sovereignty over his creation. And throughout, it's presented in Scripture not as something that's threatening or scary, but it's presented as our great comfort. It becomes threatening or scary when we want to be in control. When things don't happen our way, well, then we get frustrated. Why can't I know it ahead of time? Why can't I control it? Well, because God wants us to live each day with the faith that he is the only one who knows how all the puzzle pieces must fit together. It means everything has its place. Everything that comes into your life is there for a purpose, even the bad things. An example of this is the story of the Ten Boom family. Maybe you've read the book The Hiding Place* by Corrie Ten Boom. The Ten Booms were a Dutch reformed family in Holland. When the Nazis invaded Holland, the Ten Booms hid Jews in their home and helped them escape. Eventually, the Ten Booms were caught by the Nazis. and They were taken to a prison camp. Conditions there were horrible. Their elderly father died. Guards were everywhere watching their every move. But at one point, the two sisters, Corey and Betsy, were moved to a large, very crowded barracks. It smelled awful. They sat on their beds, and they began to be bitten by something. They discovered that the place was infested with fleas. That's where they were supposed to spend much of their time and where they were supposed to sleep, as they were being bitten by fleas that they couldn't escape. Amazingly, they were able to get a Bible. And here in this crowded, disgusting barracks, they were able to have Bible studies. And many of the women came to know, came to faith in Christ. Well, Corey and Betsy had read Ephesians 5, where it says, where Paul says, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father. And with a Bible and women coming to know Christ, there were things they could be thankful for. But Corey couldn't see how they could ever be thankful for these unrelenting fleas. They were horrible. But then one day, Betsy discovered that none of the guards would enter the barracks. And the reason was precisely because of the fleas. They didn't want to get fleas. So the fleas were a sort of shield that protected them from the guards. And because of that, they were able to have Bible studies and see the gospel spread. Fleas are a, a disgusting parasitic insect that spread diseases. Yet even an infestation of fleas was part of God's eternal plan for the good of his people. So if God is sovereign over every detail of your life, even fleas, what does that mean? Well, it means you can live fearlessly. Fearlessly. You have nothing to fear because God is in control of everything. It means nothing can harm you unless God allows it for some good purpose. Henry Martin was a missionary to India and Persia. And he put it this way. He said, I am immortal until I've done every single thing God wants me to do on this earth. And Martin Luther He said, you cannot live any longer than the Lord has appointed, but neither can you die any sooner. When God assigns you seasons of difficulty, seasons of weeping, you can know, you can rest assured that not one single tear is wasted. God appoints the seasons of our lives and And that is our security. God makes everything happen at just the right time, in just the right way, according to His good purposes. To everything, there is a season. A time for every purpose under heaven. And those times are all set by our sovereign God. That's the message of the poem. Then in the following verses, Solomon gives some further reflections that follow from the poem. It starts off in verse 9 with a question. What profit has the worker from that in which he labors? That's the same question he started the book with in chapter 1, verse 3. If God appoints everything, including all of our labors, in their time, does what we do have any real value? What's the purpose? Well, we know our labors are not for the purpose of manipulating or changing God's eternal plan. They can't do that because they're a part of His eternal plan. And there's nothing that we can do to ensure that only the good things that we want are what happen. Our labors can't make God change His eternal plan. So, so what profit are they? Well, in verse 10. It says, I have seen the God-given task with which the sons of men are to be occupied. So Solomon, the wise teacher, the wisest of all, who examined all of life, has seen that our labors are given to us by God. And verse 11 adds, God has made everything beautiful in its time. God has appointed a time for everything all according to his purposes, and everything is beautiful in its time. And by saying beautiful there, that's not an aesthetic judgment or an artistic judgment. The idea behind it isn't beauty in that way. it's, It's in the sense of fitting perfectly. Every piece of what God sovereignly ordains, which is everything, fits perfectly together at the perfect time. He has made everything perfectly fitting in its time. Now again, think of the analogy of the puzzle pieces. Every piece fits perfectly. There's not a curve or, or a corner over here or an edge that is even slightly off. God ordains everything, and everything God ordains is absolute is an absolutely perfect fit. So what Solomon gives here is a confession of faith. He doesn't give evidential proof of what he's saying. It's simply a statement of faith. No matter how senseless or out of control your life or the nation or the world seem to be, God has made everything perfectly fitting in its time according to his purposes. And verse 11 continues, Also, he has put eternity in their hearts. Eternity in their hearts. What, what does that mean? Have you ever been lost? Now, I know with the phones and the apps that we have today, that's a lot more difficult than it used to be. But when, uh, when I was young, we went on a vacation with another family. We went to the mountains in Colorado. I and a boy from the other family, we went off exploring, we We're climbing cliffs and enjoying ourselves all over the place. When our stomachs said it's time to return to camp, well, we we headed in what we thought was the right direction. We came up over the ridge and we saw that wasn't the right direction. We looked around, we realized we didn't know where we were. We didn't know how to get back. That was a sinking feeling. If only we had the ability to get up high above the trees so we could see everything, we could see our campsite. Then we could figure out the way to get back to it. But we couldn't do that. Obviously, since I'm standing here, we, we did find our way back to our families, eventually. But my friend and I were in a place where we couldn't see where to go. We knew the, the right path and our campsite. They were out there somewhere but that's it. In life, we live in the present. We remember the past. We know there is a future. In fact, we know the future extends to eternity. God has given us that perspective, eternity in our hearts. We often long to know what the future holds. We have science fiction movies about time travel. We think if if we could travel in time, then we could go into the past or the future, and we can change things there, and we can make them more the way we want them to be. But as one person said, if there's time travel, where are the tourists from the future? God has given us the perspective that eternity is there, and we long for it, but we can't see it. The end of verse 11 says, no one can find out the work that God does from beginning to end. God appoints the times. He plans out everything according to His purposes. We know He's planned it. Sometimes we ask Him, why? Why did it have to be this way? And most of the time, we don't get that answer. We can only know what God chooses to reveal to us. Living within time, yet having eternity in our hearts, that should reinforce in us the fact that that we're not the ones with the plan. God fully has the plan and we must trust in Him. Augustine put it this way. He said, You have made us for Yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in You. God has put eternity in our hearts. So we have a longing to understand the beginning and the end. A longing to know why. But we don't get that. Instead, Instead of giving us that answer, God gives us Himself. And the more we get to know Him, the more satisfied we are without knowing all the answers to why. So, what profit has the worker from that in which he labors? So far, Solomon has taught us we need to approach that question with faith in our God who plans it out. Then Solomon gives us two statements that begin... With I know. The first one gives something of an answer to that question. We look at verses 12 and 13. It says, I know that nothing is better for them than to rejoice and to do good in their lives. And also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor. It is the gift of God. What's, what does Solomon say? It says, All that we are. All that we have is a gift from God even if sometimes it doesn't look like a gift and we don't understand it. We can find satisfaction in the work God has given us to do. We rejoice, we do good, and we enjoy the gifts God has given us. We can receive His gifts and eat and drink with pleasure. But that's not eat, drink, and be merry like in the parable that was read earlier of the rich fool. He thought all of his wealth was produced by him and for him and he had no thought of God. Now we can eat and drink and enjoy God's gifts when we do it with thankful hearts because we know he is the one who planned it all and brought it all to pass. The profit in our labors is applying ourselves to do good good to do the good that we can do and then enjoy the gifts of our god with thankful hearts as you look around in the midst of what's going on now what is the good that you can do are there people you can reach out to to encourage or to help with something help them with a job or help them financially can you do something to encourage or or build trust in god By praying with someone or having a Bible study or doing acts of mercy in your home or your neighborhood or in the church, what good can you apply yourself to? Now, the second I know statement, it really gives the overall conclusion. Verse 14, I know that whatever God does, it shall be forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it that men should fear before Him. As the poem shows, God sets the times for everything. That means those times are set. They're permanent. They're eternal. Nothing man can do will change what God has set in place. Nothing you can do can manipulate God. We can't add to it or subtract from what He does. God does what He purposes to do. He accomplishes everything that He wants done. Nothing escapes His sovereign dominion. And why is it that way? So that men will fear Him. Rather than fight God and try to manipulate Him in some way, we need to fear Him. Rather than responding to the times with with panic or worry or anger, we need to fear God. And fearing God is equivalent to trusting Him. God wants us to trust Him. And Him alone for all things. This is the beginning of wisdom and all godliness. To trust Him. To do anything else is to worship an idol. Even if that idol is yourself. We we are to pursue wisdom. But our knowledge and our, our wisdom, they can only go so far. And that's it. Solomon was the wisest man, yet he knew the limits of wisdom. And the question that Solomon puts for us, before us is, who is your Lord? Who is your God? Who are you trusting in? When we look at history and and we look around in our day, we can see how, how godless man is trying to figure out how to control the world. He's trying to figure out how to be God. But... As is clear here, the door to the control room of the world is completely locked and sealed. There's no way for man to enter. We simply have to trust God to be God. In verse 14, it says, it does say, fear before Him. It's not just speaking of an attitude of, of trust and of, of fearing Him. It includes worship. We come before God, when we recognize that God is in full control, when we recognize our own limitations, how little we know and, and that we can't even control what happens from day to day, when in faith we see how small we are and how great God is, it drives us to worship Him with thankful and rejoicing hearts. In verse 15, Solomon again He brings in God's sufficiency. It says, That which is, has already been. And what is to be, has already been. And God requires an account of the past. That's very similar to chapter 1 verse 9, which ends with, There's nothing new under the sun. God sets the times for everything past, present, and future. For us, Trying to control life is like grasping the wind. It can't be done. Not by us, but God can. He does it and He directs the wind. He controls the times and there's nothing new, nothing surprising to Him. So God brings good out of our labors. We just need to trust Him. Forget about trying to make or understand that good ourselves. It's in His hands just as He planned it. We can't can't touch or change the past. God will take care of the past, either with judgment or redemption. It's all in His hands. What's the next good thing for you to do? It could be disciplining your child and teaching him or her to love God. It could be to help that customer And treat them with honesty and respect. It could be to run for public office. Or to speak to someone who is in public office. Do the next good thing before you. And put your trust in God. The fact that God is in control, that, that should be great news for us. It's a relief because we don't have to try to be God. We don't have to keep track of everything and and try to control everything, failing miserably over and over again. Instead, we can be satisfied with what God gives us. We can apply ourselves fully to it, and and then with thankful hearts, we enjoy His gifts. Even when things in life go horribly, we remember that He is in control, and we trust Him even if it never makes any sense to us. It does make perfect sense. Because God fits all things together perfectly according to His purposes. As I said before, Solomon states all of this as a confession of faith. And today, when we look at it, we have an advantage over Solomon. In Galatians 4.4, it says, But when the fullness of the time had come... God sent forth His Son. At the perfect time, Jesus was born. Romans 5, 6 says, In due time, Christ died for the ungodly. A time to be born and a time to die. 1 Corinthians 15, 4 says, He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. At the perfect time, He rose from the dead. He conquered sin and death. And at the perfect time, He brought you to know Him and trust Him for the forgiveness of your sins to make you His child. And Just as He had perfect control of time at each of those times, He does now in your life. And that, that perfect control of time extends through to when at just the right time, Jesus will return and He will set all things right. You don't have to know all the answers. You can live without answers because you have Him. You simply have to trust in Him. Trust the one who makes all things beautiful, perfectly fitting in time. If God could take the cross of Jesus, the ugliest event in the history of the world, and make it perfect, Well, he can certainly do so with everything in your life. With his spirit living in you and working in you, do the next good work he has given you to do. Receive what God has given you with a thankful heart and trust in him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you as our almighty God, sovereign over all time and all of creation. Grant us the faith to trust you and rest in your sovereign rule. We thank you that you do fit all things perfectly according to your purposes. And in your love, they are for your glory and our good. Thank you that our labors are a gift from you. May we receive them with thankful hearts, doing good as your spirit works in us. In the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.